0: Welcome to real deal talk. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back and we are here today with a young lady. And I know I said this before how I don't know much about my guests, even though I kind of know them like they're friends of mine. And I purposely don't ask a lot of questions about people prior to meeting them or even in the meeting ahead of time. But this girl, Chelsea right here, I actually know nothing about it. Like Chelsea, you and I are meeting for the first time. We're meeting for the first time today. Yep on film. So Chelsea was referred to me by one of our prior guests, Corey Withrow, who, uh, former NFL player, owner of King's craft coffee and Poway shout out to, to my, my guy. He said, dude, you got to hear this woman's story. I uh, uh, so, you know, I, so he put us into contact literally what, two weeks ago, Yeah, two weeks ago, put us in contact. I heard a brief, little, quick kind of thing about the, the the quote unquote story, which I'm not going to talk about right now, because when you guys hear this story, get ready to be uh, this going to be an emotional roller coaster here for the next however long.
1: Pun right? intended. Pun so intended. I'm apologizing now. Yes, for tears. I I've
0: got the tissues lined up. <laughs> But it's going to be one of uh, just overcoming the odds and a massive amount of faith. And I'm not going to steal any thunder here at all from Chelsea. So you guys are going to witness this. I've never met Chelsea before in my life. Today is the first time we are meeting. So you are going to watch an organic conversation. Organic, in which the, all of my interviews are organic. But this is one where we're literally, literally going to get to know each other. For the first time right here. So with that said, Chelsea, you, you've been watching some of the podcasts, right? Okay, so you know how we do it. Yeah, I do. We're gonna go we're just gonna go back in time and and start uh, with the journey of Chelsea. the, the test the, the full testimony, which she's never shared before, she's never been on a podcast before. So we're gonna go all the way back. And so let's start with where you're born and raised.
1: Okay. So I like to say they call me a unicorn. Okay. Because I am born and raised in San Diego. Wow. And there's not many of us. No. It's hard to find. Yes. So, born and raised in San Diego, actually grew up in North County, um, close to Poway, where Corey and Monica live, and Rancho um Went to Westview High School okay. out there. It was a brand new high school. So, I was the first graduating class of all four years at Westview. Wow. Um, two older sisters and parents still here as well. Um still together. My dad's actually a golf professional. Are you serious? San Diego. Really? Yeah. So he, um, he was, he played on the tour when he was married with my mom. They decided to have kids. So he essentially like retired from the tour and he was the coach at San Diego state men's and women's golf coach here at San Diego state director of golf. And then was just a teaching professional. He's a teaching professional now, but, um, all over San Diego. And then now he's, Much older. I won't say how old he is, but he (laughs) would be on the senior tour at this point. So he's...
0: He can't be that old because you're, what, 34?
1: Yeah. But I have two older sisters. So Okay. And he was a little bit older when they had kids. So um, he's now the coach at Cuyamaca College. So, Uh. yeah. So anyway, so born and raised here in San Diego. I have two older sisters. And then I actually went off to college after um, high school. I was recruited, and I went and played volleyball for the University of Texas in Austin.
0: So how how you said two older sisters? Two older sisters. So there's three sisters three total. Girls. No no brothers. No oh brothers. Oh my god, dad must have been a. I know. How many fights were there every morning in in the when you were kids?
1: The funny thing is, is I feel like from what I've heard, it's like the boys have like wrestling fights. Yeah. The girls have like bitch fights in the yeah. sense of like Makeup, I'm stealing clothes. Clothes. Totally. Shoes. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, and so, but I ended up actually going to a different high school than my sisters did. Because really? my high school was brand new when it opened. My sisters went to Mount Carmel High School. Ah. And then by the time my freshman year came around, Mount Carmel was much older. Yep. And so my, my parents, my mom, they were like, well, you're going to Westview because it's brand new. It was beautiful, state of the art. So um, I ended up going to a different high school than my middle sister
0: Got it. She okay. was a
1: senior and I was a freshman, but we went to different high schools.
0: What's what's how old's the oldest sister now?
1: So she's five years older than so five. Me. Okay. So, 39. Yeah, so it's it's um, me three years and then five between my oldest. So and my
0: dad's family. in his 60s or 70s. He's in 70s. Yeah. So that's going to be me, by the way, because we st- my wife and I started having kids at 40.
1: Okay. That's so That's going to be me. Yeah. So my wow. my mom's in her my mom. My parents are eight years apart. So my mom's eight years younger. Got it. So she's in her 60s, and okay. then my dad's, yeah, in his 70s, but still golfing every yeah. day, yeah. still teaching, still a pro, whole nine yards. Um, awesome.
0: Love yeah. It. Now, talk to me about the childhood, because it's um, it's rare on my podcast so far, So, and I'm going to use it as a microcosm of society, mm-hmm. that it's rare that people have uh, childhoods that were, let's say, quote-unquote, normal, which means both parents still together, mm-hmm. both, par- both parents not only together, but loving, I need, I need Mm -hmm. to make sure I put that in there because a lot of parents stay together and they're not in love anymore. They're just going through the motions, right? Yeah. So would you say that your parents, your entire childhood were, was there harmonious? Did you see a great example of two great parents that were, and we don't want to, we know they're going to be watching this interview. (laughs) So we don't, so would you say that it was a harmonious and everything was great? And
1: so, um, (laughs) Yeah, like they are amazing in the sense that they have absolutely exemplified what I would hope and pray for love that in my marriage beautiful one day Yep. in the sense that like my dad and my mom they have been through I guess I don't know if I could say this word but like hell and back yeah I mean and say I whatever you want I mean when it comes to jobs losing jobs my dad being a golf professional at one point it was a dream right and he was doing really well and then so like money right having struggles having money then not having money then having money again having a job not having a job having i mean think about i mean they've been together for over 40 years at this point so what they've been through in the last 40 years has it always been harmonious no right from what i've seen when i was i was an athlete my entire life since starting at three years old i was a competitive gymnast and so for me i was gone all the time
0: so wait a minute so who, who who got you into that did they get you into it? You're like, hey, I want to do gymnastics. No, so you did. I at don't three. know.
1: I just it was my preschool that I just like started gymnastics. Wow. I guess it was at my preschool. Yeah. And I, from by the time I was three years old, I just fell in love with the sport. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And I was a gymnast all the way up until seventh grade. So from three years old to, to eleven, I guess it was. Yep. Um, or whatever, how old whatever it was in the seventh grade, all I did was gymnastics. I mean, to the point where I was training for the Olympics in 2008.
0: No kidding. Like
1: they were going to shit me off Get to go, here. to be homeschooled and go continue to train.
0: Were you doing anything else like any other sports? Nothing. By, so, by the way, Spencer, whatever you have the volume at today, I like this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> my vo- sound my voice sounds really,
0: really nice. All right. All right so Save your th- take notes. Sorry. <laughs> it does. Sound Enough really about good. me. Um, <laughs> I like go it. ahead. Back to the Olympics.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um, that's all I did. So to be, to be honest, like when I was younger and you loved it, loved it. That was my life.
0: Even though it was what? Three, four, well, give me a time thing. Three, four hours a day, five hours. At least. At least.
1: By the time I got into seventh grade, I was, I was training probably 40 hours a week.
0: 40 hours a week. Yeah.
1: To the point where they were going to homeschool me to have me just trained because I was trying to get to the Olympics.
0: And obviously you did nothing else. There was no sports, no dance.
1: Nothing. To the point where I didn't even go to my first dance. Until I had finished gymnastics, because my Friday nights, any night that there was anything going on, yeah. I I literally did not have a social life. And you loved it. I loved it. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: It, they weren't. It wasn't like pulling teeth. Like, no, oh, I don't want to
1: go. I no. To the what point, were your
0: friends thinking? were, your, or did uh, you have I mean, friends? They
1: were my gymnastics. Teammates. Ah, of course. Yeah. They were my teammates. Yeah, that's right. So I would go see my friends that that were my teammates, and then whenever we had downtime. Or if we weren't practicing or maybe we had a weekend off because we didn't have a meet, we were together. Just
0: And so other kids at the school, mm-hmm. were you were you still friends with people, kids in school? Or were you kind of like a, would they look at you like, oh, what are you, crazy? Like what was the thought process of, of the other students?
1: It wasn't until I stopped gymnastics that, I've, that I really like had friends in school. Ah. I managed to have like friends and class and like things like that. But I didn't start hanging out with people at school until I got done with g- gymnastics. And the reason why I got done with gymnastics is because I broke my back. No way. Yeah.
0: At, w- w- at, th-
1: at seventh seventh grade. Seventh grade. I was at state championships at a meet and I was vaulting, I was doing a souk, which oh. is essentially what one of the gymnasts was paralyzed from doing. Oh my God. Um, and I was doing a sukahara is the move. And I fell, landed wrong, fractured. I, I actually didn't know at the time that I um, fractured the fifth lumbar vertebrae in my back. I got up, finished the meet. Oh my God. And continued to train for about three months. Three months? On a broken back.
0: Nobody checked
1: you? Well, I just didn't say I was hurt. <sighs> I. So
0: hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Now, is this the horse thing that you run and then catapult yes. off the horse yes. thing?
1: Yeah, that's false. The
0: psychotic thing that I've seen? Yes. And how did you... So you went flipping and sukaharing, right? Yep. And then landed on what? Your head, your back?
1: Landed on my feet, but to, was to like... Oh, you landed like, on your feet. Like I landed, but I, I like landed wrong. Yeah. Like ended up falling, right? I didn't like land on my head or anything. I just landed wrong, landed hard, and... It just tweaked me You right? felt pain Oh yeah Oh yeah
0: For the rest of the meat. Oh yeah What other uh, Give me the other uh, You know the routines Or the other events. Bars
1: I'm pretty sure Like I mean and This was in 7th grade And granted I won't, We already said my age Yeah But um, So this was a long time ago Yeah um, I'm almost positive from what I can remember. I still had bars because it, it goes vault bars, beam floor. Okay. And so I don't remember if I started on the floor because you usually go like in order, reverse, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think because it goes vault bars, beam floor, I don't remember if I started, but I, I remember I had the bars, was my la- okay. I had one more event yep. after Got vault Got it. Okay. And it was bars. So I remember still. That's the parallel bars. Yes. Got it. So I remember like still going through my bar routine. And finishing the meet Oof. and then continue to train for like three months
0: like to you the... didn't even think to say hey was it still hurting
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but i knew see, this, i this... knew something was wrong that i didn't want to say anything i was a little you didn't want to know You didn't want to know. know and i didn't want to stop i didn't want to give up like i didn't want to stop oh, i didn't want God. it to be over unbelievable
0: because you had a feeling oh yeah you knew. Something was up. Something was wrong. Yep. Good Lord. You, yep. you do, do you know how, I'm sure you know now looking back how lucky you were that you didn't, because once something like that happens, if it goes further, you're done. You're paralyzed the whole nine. So
1: that's You understand a, what I'm saying? 100%. So that's exactly what ended up happening. So my teammate, who I was good friends with, she got to the point where she said, Chelsea, if you don't tell your mom, because she could see I was hurt, yeah. right? I would like everything i would do at practice it would be like oh shoot you know and so she's like chelsea if you don't say something to your mom i'm going to so i ended up then telling my mom she took me in to go get everything checked out and we were sitting i just remember sitting in the room the doctor came in i don't know if it was like an mri or whatever again i was in seventh grade i didn't know what the heck was going on um the doctor came in and looked at my mom and said if she were my daughter she would be done today She, her, because of like, you know, my injury, she she will not be able to walk when she gets older. And at seventh grade, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to be like at 30, 40, 50 years old. I'm thinking about right then and right now. And I didn't want to stop gymnastics. That was my life. That was literally what defined me. That was all I knew. Yeah. And he looked at my mom and said, no, in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, like she will not be able to walk if she continues to train. Sure. We could sit here and rehab her. She's, she's young. She's 11 years old. Like we can, sure. We could heal her. Yeah. She's young, but it's not worth it. So at that moment, my mom said, did, so you're did done.
0: Did you hear the doctor saying this?
1: Yeah. It was yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Like if she were my daughter, I would not. Did you she just wouldn't.
0: start crying immediately? Oh
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And your mother said, just, okay, you're done.
1: I mean, we ended up getting in the car and we started talking about it. We had to go home and, you know, talk to my dad and everything. But it it was like, you mean, it was at that moment that she was like, okay. Like, she already knew There was no way of me being able to continue gymnastics at that point.
0: Oh, my God. This is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. That was seventh grade.
0: How did you, do you remember how you felt at this point? Like what was, did you go to a depression for the next week? Oh weeks? my
1: gosh, I lost. Uh, so because that's all I did, yeah. again, didn't really have friends, right? My life was gymnastics. My friends, my free time, I would come home, I would do my homework and go to practice. That's all I knew. On the weekends, I would have my meets. And so for me, like at that point, I'm in seventh grade, that's middle school. That's a yeah. tough time for a little girl. Yes. You're going through this a is, lot This in is school. when everything
0: starts. <laughs> totally puberty exactly boys all of it all
1: of it yep my first dance so at that moment i'm going what do i do who am i i had so much energy right when you think about us like we're both very active we still work out yeah we understand endorphins we understand the benefits mentally of exercising right and working out i was cut cold turkey From, so no endorphins, no feel good, no nothing. Nothing. To the point where my mom was like, you need to go take a lap around the block. Like I would be at home and I was, it was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. (sighs) And so at that moment it was like, how do we heal her and get her into some sort of activity that she can go find release in? Yeah. Because everything was taken away at that point. In my mind, right? In my life. And I was rebuilding in seventh grade. So my sister's, um, my oldest sister was a basketball player all throughout high school and my middle sister was a volleyball player and my mid- my oldest sister she also ran track and she was she was in track and so I would go to all my siblings events like as the younger sister I would be dragged to basketball games and volleyball games and track meets and things and so at that point I was like well, what sport am I going to get into mm. what do I want to do I knew nothing how knew-
0: long were you in a in a funk weeks
1: um, it had months months. Yeah.
0: Were you even thinking about other sports at this point? You were just you just didn't even you couldn't think.
1: I I just I didn't I no. I I didn't know Gosh, what I was unbelievable. doing.
0: Unbelievable. I can't even imagine. Okay. So you start looking at sports, volleyball.
1: And I I I went to my sister's track meet and I saw pole vaulters. Mm. And you know, gymnasts, right? No, yeah. All they do is fly in the air. Oh. So anything oh, extravagant. No. And I looked at my mom and I was like, I want to do that. Oh god. So my mom got me in a summer camp because I'm in middle school they don't have pole vaulting in middle school no and so there was no way for me to do anything other than I went and did a summer camp at my sister's high school track camp and I became a pole vaulter or I tried didn't 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 you
0: or your mom think wait a minute out of all the events in track <laughs> you're picking the one where you're going to be 15 to 20 yep. feet in the air falling and
1: yeah well and that's what Didn't she did. Tell- that? well that's what she well I-, I think at that point she was walking such um, a fine like- line to tell me no or like <laughs> she was like i just need to get this girl into something that's gonna make her feel good and i at this point i have to like allow her to do what she wants to give her something but yeah, then but after all- the fact she was like you know what chelsea she's like let's pick a sport that we're on the ground yes. for once Oh, yeah. My mom hated it's it. It's like
0: out of all the events, uh-huh. the most dangerous one yeah. in the entire. It's like the
1: next thing to gymnastics. Correct. Of all the sports.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20 feet up. Yeah. Falling. Yeah. And that's if you go up. Because what if the the, the pole, right. I always freak out about that. Like how many people like go on the way and up and then come back yeah. down? It's yeah. like worse. Yeah.
1: I got my own pole that I would like practice in our front yard. And I would like do drills oh and God. like jump up on these poles. And it got to the point where my mom was like, okay, summer camp's over. Like on to the next one. We're done. So how that's how I- long
0: did you do? Was it like a couple of weeks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was thank, just like, thank God. Yeah. I didn't
0: go with, keep going with that. I was concerned here.
1: Yeah. No, right? no pole vaulting. <laughs> that was all I did was my pole vaulting spin.
0: So then I chose the high jump now.
1: Yeah, seriously. Um. So then my middle sister yep. played volleyball. Yep. And she played volleyball in high school. And so I went one day randomly to one of her like private lessons because again, I was dragged to my older sister's games and, you know, whatever practices. And my mom said, why don't you jump in and just see what, you know, you could do with the volleyball. That's a better sport. Yeah. And so I did. Um, I just randomly started jumping and hitting the ball. And my sister's volleyball coach at the time that was giving her a private lesson um, was like, Wow, like this girl actually pretty naturally athletic when yeah. it comes to volleyball. Yep. And so my mom's like, okay, maybe this this is what we'll do now. So again, I was twelve at that time. So I was in seventh grade, and that's when I started. I then ended up picking up volleyball and started playing volleyball. Wasn't and that so, yep. then became my only sport.
0: Okay. And and so then so and nothing else. So mm-hmm. once you locked in, you said, okay, I'm going to focus on this. Yep. Now, you're, how old your the one that's in volleyball, or was the, your middle sister, how much older is she, two or three? She's three years older. Okay. Um, was she all excited you were coming into volleyball? No. No.
1: Well, was she was excited competitive in thing? the sense that we played different sports. I mean, we played different positions. Yeah. So we liked the fact that I was a hitter, she was a setter. Okay. It made sense. She's, but over time, I think because it, we did. We're, we're just naturally competitive. Yeah. Like my sisters and I, like, although we, I, we grew up with girl like we are extremely competitive yeah, as I'll a family. Bet. Yeah, bet. I mean, between my dad, be, you know, I mean, we are, to a fault, I will say, that is probably one of my strengths, but biggest weakness, I'm so competitive. Yeah. It's
0: just stupid yeah, competitive. It's, it's obsessive.
1: And so naturally, and also having sisters, girls, Like, we were all very competitive. We still are to this day, Yeah. whether we want to admit it or not. Like, we're all competitive with each other. We compare and we're competitive. So looking back now, like, if my sister was sitting in the room, she'd probably have been like, you know, I hated you because I ended up going and playing in college. Like, I ended up excelling. So
0: within, how fast did you realize that you were really good at it?
1: It was probably that, after a year. After about a year? Yeah.
0: And the coaches were like, ooh, we've got something here. Yeah. So when did it get more serious? Going to eighth high school.
1: Yeah, high school especially. Um, I would say eighth grade. Um, at that time, we had middle school sports, which I don't even know if they have that anymore. But my I middle school, do. I don't think they do. But I got lucky because my middle school did have a volleyball team, mm. and in eighth grade, my team like made it to the championships of you know middle school yeah. volleyball, and I just remember like playing in the championship game, and I was actually like doing really well and you know leading the team and whatever serving and I was an outside hitter and then I made varsity volleyball my freshman year I was varsity team captain my freshman year Your
0: freshman year so the fr- so the high school coach had been obviously scouting you heard about you I'm assuming
1: he happened to be a coach at my club because oh. I played club volleyball ah. yeah oh wow so club is where it's like really the most like competitive high school and at that time, middle school and high school, that's like your fun recreational volleyball.
0: Okay, got it. What
1: really was what essentially ended up getting me recruited and and getting me to play more competitively was club for sure. Got it. And a lot of the club coaches were also high school coaches. Got it. So they knew all of us. So they, he knew me, my high school coaches, he knew me from what, because he was a coach where I played club volleyball when I was 13. So then going into my freshman year, he knew I was essentially. He's ready for you. Yeah. He couldn't wait. Yeah.
0: All right. So now any, any, I have to ask this question. Okay. Um, Because, and here's why, because you're talking about a grade area where my daughter's now going into. Okay. She's going into sixth. She's now entering middle school. Yeah. Any, what was your first boyfriend? And I haven't asked, I've never asked this question, but I have to ask, because you keep talking about middle school, middle school? And all I'm thinking about as you're talking is my daughter is going to middle school. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. They're starting to develop. The boys are starting to circle. They're starting to circle the wagon. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: I think because I was so into sports. Yeah. I just like, I didn't. Okay. I I don't even so I didn't keep have my time. daughter in sports. 100%. <laughs> I recommend right, right. sports. And maybe I'm biased, but like that no. the reason why I am the way I am today, my work ethic besides having like an amazing my, my parents, my family, but like it is absolutely my sports from a young age
0: okay so before we move on let's let's break that down a little bit okay okay this is this is beautiful because we talk about i talk about this a lot because
1: mm-hmm.
0: i see a lot of parents out there that don't have their kids in activities or sports and i'm telling you it's mm-hmm. a mistake and mm-hmm. a lot of them do it and i'm going to say this publicly selfishly because they don't want to take the time to drive them around to bring them over here to get them changed yeah. bring them it's a, it's tough. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot, and a lot of parents selfishly don't do it because they don't they don't have the time. Yeah. But let me tell you, make the time to get your kid into yeah. sports. Go go into why.
1: So, and I will also say, from being a gymnast and playing an individual sport, to then to then being forced talk or, about that to then going into a team, team sport, sport. Okay, the individual sport that I did. So like learning now, if I ever have kids, heaven forbid. You will. I think about what I would want, what I've had my journey, right, as an athlete and where I am today. An individual sport taught me so much about owning, Mm. ownership, Wow! right? My performance was on me. My work ethic, how hard I trained, how hard I practiced, what I sacrificed, like that was on me as an individual athlete, as a gymnast. I went and got a score- because of me, yep, good or bad, right? Then making that transition to a, a team sport, it then forced me to transition on how to work with others, mm. and then also how to control my own attitude. Let me tell you, I was not the nicest team captain. Yes, and the journey that I took from from when I was a freshman team captain all the way through until I was a senior, I was a completely different person, and 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 captain because. As a freshman team captain, playing on this fairly new team sport, I'd only been in it for a couple of years, right. I was still, I had an attitude because I was so hard on myself still to this day, but so hard on myself because that's all I ever knew, right? Was yeah. it's on me. Right. And I was so straightforward, one-sided and then, it, but it forced me very quickly to realize that it's, it's not about you it's not about you yep when you're on a team sport it's about how do you make everybody else around you better love that it's not about you love that so i to this i I had the best of both worlds
0: now now on this note Mm -hmm. this is for the parents out there yeah would you suggest i know what i'm doing our what my wife and i are doing is we have Jacqueline and an individual thing dance dance perfect And we have her in, and I told my wife, we said, we got to get her in team sports. Because when she made the transition to a team sport, Jacqueline was very interesting.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. It was, she's kind of secluded, kind of like, like it was at first she didn't really gel with the team in the beginning because she was so used to being just the individual dancer. So talk to me about why is that the perfect scenario of Mm -hmm. both?
1: Well, it's, it's forcing her to, right? Yeah. It's forcing her to get out of her comfort zone. It's not about her anymore. She's got to realize how to adapt to others. She has to realize how to not change herself by any means, but she needs to become a chameleon at this point, and she needs to learn how to deal with other people's uh, personalities and behaviors and herself. Like, I I think that's perfect. I think that's exactly it. That's what I was saying. you know, One day I have a child, I I would absolutely do the same thing. They're going to be in an individual sport, and then at some point, right, until they get to that that age, like it is absolutely about a team sport because looking back now, that team sport is the best thing that could have happened to me because now that also transfers into everything that I'm doing in life. That's right. Because life is not about us. That's correct. Right? Yes. And as an individual, little gymnastics girl, all I did was have this like eye on the prize. It was me. I had these horse blinders on. That's all that I ever thought or cared about because it was all about me. Yeah. It's not all about me. It's not. Life's not all about you. It's not. So to me, I refer, I relate everything back to sports. Everything. Everything.
0: everything. I, we talk about this a lot. Yeah. It's so, because guys, l- parents listening, listen up. The number one best training that you can ever give a child for life mm-hmm. is sports. Yep. Period and end of story. School yep. teaches you how to Basically do okay on a test reading and writing very important, but school is basically how to do on a test, but also the social interaction of school is the most important thing. But mm-hmm. when it comes to actual life learning lessons, it's sports, it's discipline, more. how to take direction, how to be led. Cause in order to be a leader, you have to be led first. Mm-hmm. You have to be a great follower. Yep. Like you said, how to, how to interact with others, how to make others around you better mm-hmm. That's what, everything about life. Cause
1: Taking feedback. I had some mean coaches. Yeah. Let me tell you, I played Division One volleyball at the University of Texas in Austin. Wow. That was uh, another level. And it's not pat on the back. There yeah. was no participation award. <laughs> I did not grow up in participation award award world. Yeah. It is, You you take feedback, you get yelled at, you get high fives and you get a good pat on the back. Yeah. But you do that when you deserve it, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you're also going to be told otherwise. And there's no sugarcoating. And I appreciate that because what did that build? Especially as a female, not to get into like that, but like the thick skin. Get into it. Right? Like, no shame yeah. in my game. Yeah. Like yeah. thick skin, bring it. Yeah. And I mean, I again, I completely, whether that was from being a gymnast when I was younger to then going and playing at the highest level of volleyball before being a professional athlete, like, I, I I my journey as an athlete. I've been through every stage, and anytime anybody asks me anything about like my career or my job, I say I owe it to my my athletic like background yep. because that's the hardest job I will ever have.
0: And talk about it with women, because you said uh, not to go there. Yeah. Go there. Life's hard. Yeah. Life's really hard, yeah. and a lot of women think that they need a man they have to have a man to make it in the world yeah what did? what kind of confidence did being on a team being a captain prepare you as a woman to take on this world right because yeah. because life's tough
1: yeah um i'm a i, I just it, it all goes back to ownership like yeah. to the point where i, I have nothing to blame I, I have no one to blame i have no Fingers to point, I have, it's, it all comes back to, it's on me. Yep. If I want something, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go make it happen to get it. I'm not expected. I'm not, I I was also the, I appreciate my parents so much for this. I was never given anything. Mm. Ever. Whether my family had money or not, I didn't know. Because I was never given anything. Whether it was money for lunch or a new pair of shoes. like I had to earn everything. To wow. get my ears pierced, I had to get straight A's. To get new shoes, I had to score a certain score wow. at my gymnastics event. Like everything I've ever <laughs> known since I was a child was you earn it. Wow. And, and maybe that has made me the hard ass that I am now. And maybe I'm, I'm too cold in the sense that like, I just, I don't, there's just no excuse, right? Like yeah. you're gonna go, just go make it happen.
0: Yeah, like, so I'm failing in this arena right now. As you're talking, I'm like, oh God, I'm failing here. I'm, fa- no. I'm giving my daughter everything, uh-huh. but she's the sweetest thing in the world. She's so sweet. She's so loving. She's so kind. She's kind to her friends. I'm literally giving her everything. Well, I, so I, I'm failing here. No, what's no, going to no, happen no. later? No, the, stop Daddy it. Daddy gave me everything. No, oh my no. God. Here I, I go.
1: Balance, right? Like <laughs> balance. That's a big word. Like Give her uh, absolutely the fact that she's so sweet and so kind and so thoughtful. Like, that's absolutely something to celebrate. That's what I'm rewarding, right? Absolutely. As long as she knows that, yeah, like you reward her for an action of that kindness. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like I was rewarded for an action, I wasn't rewarded for just going to practice every day because that's an expectation. Like, that's a that's yes. what you do to go achieve something. That's the hard work that you put in to go do something. I wasn't rewarded for just doing hard work. Like I was rewarded for the outcome of the hard work that I put into it. Right. And so when I say that, it's like, yeah. As long as they're not just given something, like yeah. I'm not a parent. I have no idea. I don't have yeah. a child. I don't have yeah. a child. I don't. I can't sit here and say like I know what I'm saying. I'm just know from my upbringing. I appreciate my parents for the fact that I was never given anything, and. I had to earn it, whatever that looked like, whatever way that looked like, just like for your daughter, as long as there's some underlying reason behind it that you're teaching her something to continue that behavior. Exactly. And that's what it comes down to.
0: Like, I'm not rewarding bad behavior. She is amazing kid. Yeah. Amazing. So if she was a freaking pain in the ass and messing up and doing all this stuff and Mean to her friends And talking about it, And I was still rewarding Then right. we have a problem Right Now that I'm talking then about
1: Then you're it. like sugarcoating Like trying to bribe Or like yes. Here let me give you this Instead Oh It'll I'll be do better. this Yeah, yeah. That,
0: That's not the case Exactly Alright so there's you a fine are, line.
1: Yeah you're not doing anything
0: There's about. a fine line here Because I know I have Other fellow parents That are the same <laughs> as I am like, I just can't <laughs> Of
1: course And that's what I say I like, they, can't they, sit they, here, here like, and like daddy
0: um, and the other day, she or she's like, "Can we go get her nails done?" Because I used to take her even when she was like three or four. Oh. There was a thing me and her. Would get yeah, and yes, that. I get manicured pedicures. Look at this. No, uh. oh, I love that. So I would take her, and that's a couple days ago. She's like, "Daddy, can we go get her nails done this Sunday?" She goes, "Can I get the acrylics?" I'm like, "Sure." You know, just yeah. Can I get the gel? Absolutely. Can yeah. I do the French? You're you betcha. You know, just like yeah. There's no no. Yeah. Anyway, all right. No, all right. Great. So let's get back to we were in high school freshman yeah. year. Uh, captain of the varsity team mm-hmm. give me anything any other things that happened in the high school arena with because uh, at this point friends boyfriends anything monumental that you remember teachers any coaches that stood out that that kind of give me somebody that uh, had made an impact on your life let's say the high school arena or career yeah, a coach or a mentor that had a big impact on you that you'll never forget anybody in that arena that you can think
1: of I mean still to this day. It's gonna it, it, it always it goes back to club volleyball. Yeah, okay So I played I'll give a shout out. So I played for San Diego volleyball club. Yep, and then um, in Poway and then that essentially it broke off and turned into epic volleyball club So I stayed and played for epic volleyball club San Diego volleyball club moved into a different facility so My coaches at Epic Volleyball Club, Steve, Danielle, Pat, Mike, Ojan, like they were literally with me from my very first day on the court till the day that I graduated and went off and played in college. Wow! And it was just that family that I had made essentially outside of my own that and friends and just like that whole experience every single weekend we would go up to anaheim and play at the anaheim sports center and we would just spend the entire day and weekend together of just it's like you're going through the trenches right it's hard you're the ups and downs and the end of the day like you're all still there together laughing joking going and getting dinner and then you see the night each other the next day like you don't get sick of each other it's just like this unconditional like love and fight and Again, going back to the team sport yep. and just that whole experience. And then it also obviously brought my mom and I extremely close. Oh, wow. My mom from the very beginning has, I mean, she's still to this day my best friend. Oh, that's great. Best friend in the entire world. Um, was actually talking to her on the way here today. And oh. it's just uh, her and I have a special bond because, again, of my sports. And, like, she was the one that would take me to practice every day, like, going back to that effort, right? Yep. Like. Yep. My mom would take me to practice every single day. She never missed a game, never missed a practice. Every single weekend, she would take me up to Anaheim. We'd go up on Friday night, we'd spend the night because we played all day Saturday or all day Sunday. Like she just, honestly, probably, besides like my coaches, right? And like the effect that they yep. had and, and on me and just getting me to where I was and their tough love. It's I mean, it's it's been my mom oh. for sure.
0: How did she gain that friendship or trust early on? Do you remember anything like, how did she, does it just come with, with time? Like, was there anything that you realized that mom's my friend, I can trust her? Was that a big deal?
1: I mean, I think just because she was just like my, she was just always by my side. That's great. She was just like my ride or die. Oh, that's great. Good, bad. Again, it, it, to me, and this is something I'm working through now as a 34-year-old, um not being defined by an outcome, performance. Got it. Right? So this is a whole nother story, but from her i guess looking back now and looking at my childhood and looking at sports and and sports you win or lose right right my mom no matter what whether i won or lost she loved me the same yep she was right there by my side patting me on the back so i think with that that's yeah. trust that's great right yeah, I and love so that. um she just she was she just never i just saw so much joy that i brought her yeah that I, I wanted, I, I just, wa- and I think that was probably another reason why I didn't want to quit gymnastics, right? It was just because like, that was what we had. That was our bond. That's what we did together. That I just didn't want to do anything to lose that with mm. her. And because I also didn't know what else I could give, so to say, right. or like what else I was. yeah um So I think, yeah, over time, but I think just from just her, like I said, always just beat that unconditional love is my family. Again, to this day, like thinking of my journey and everything I've been through in life, it's like I've never been closer to my family at this point. Wow. Even of the crap that we've all been through together. Yeah. So.
0: Wow. Incredible. Shout out to mom. Mom. Big time. Big time. Love big it. Time. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm close to my mom. I speak to her every morning on the way to work and yep. every day on the way home. Yep. Literally every day.
1: Yeah. And my dad is j- right there by my side as well. It's not that I'm not close with my dad. I am yep. a, such a daddy's girl. It's my sisters hate it because I'm just like such a daddy's girl. <laughs> um but it, it's my dad, you know, it's yeah. just different. Yes. And and my dad wasn't really around much when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. I mean, he was working. Yep. The entire time. So he didn't go to many of my meets and my games, and when he did go, it was like the biggest treat and the coolest thing of course. ever.
0: He got all the glory,
1: mm-hmm. and, I, and it was just—it was always my mom and I.
0: Yeah, love that, love it. Okay, so you—so you, so you got—so you got recruited. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and how many schools were recruiting you for volleyball?
1: Um, so I mean, it's changed a lot now. Like, you could only go on three official recruiting visits. Yeah. At a certain age. So you have to pick and choose the official ones you want to go on. And then you Got could it. do unofficials where you just essentially go on your own time, your own dime. And I, because I was born and raised in San Diego, and I was getting to that point in my life where I was like, I wanted to be a little bit more independent. My mom's still my best friend, but at the same time I was like, all right, I kind of wanted to like go. Yeah. Um, And with like my sisters and everything out there, I was like, all right, I want to go see what else is out there. So um, I went to the University of South Carolina. Mm and like i went all the way across the country and i went to um i stayed here i went and saw san diego state i saw usd and then i realized i was like you know what like south carolina was way too far i can't sit for more than an hour let alone i'm not sitting on a plane for five and a half direct flight (laughs) so that was like that's just like too far it was crazy but i also really wanted a big like i just knew i also wanted a, a really cool college experience because i also knew that like as much as volleyball was my life like i wanted the real like the real deal i wanted the whole experience and i'm love football i love sports like i just always have and so i wanted a big school yep my oldest sister went to santa Clara university i went there it was beautiful catholic school like gorgeous didn't have football like all right not gonna do that i went to georgetown took a recruiting visit there Didn't have football. I'm like, all right. As as great as these schools were, like, I wanted the experience, and so I settled on the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah, and actually didn't even take a visit there. I signed my letter without even going out really? there because I was like, I just knew that was it. How did you know? uh just everything about the school, like. And they just, had football. They had football. I mean, it was shoot. I was there from I was there from six to ten. So I I got to go with like the prime years, yeah. right? The Vince Youngs, like that whole ordeal. Wow. Yeah. So I just I just knew. Like it was just at the time it was just it was everything.
0: Okay, so how was the college experience? Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: I've a little bit of a bias about it, though. Tell me. So and this is like a, I mean gosh, we could talk for hours. I'm yeah. serious. Yeah. Like Yeah. There's so many things, I mean we're not even into the story yet, but yep. so college volleyball is a whole nother experience. Again, as a female, playing at a division one school, you learn a lot very quickly. Especially going away, not knowing anybody, not having mommy or daddy to run to. Yep. You are on your own, fight or flight, like eat what you kill, you're out there on your own. Yep. And they don't mess around. They don't mess around. Yeah. You perform, you play, you don't, you don't. you're on the bench. This is what it is. So I would say those four years were, like I said, there's no job that I will ever have. There's no experience until the one that I just had a year and a half ago that would ever compare to those four years. No kidding. Okay. So now,
0: now, now break this down for me real quick. Yeah. The college experience, because this is one which this day and age Mm -hmm college is becoming more and more obsolete. People are kind of realizing, wait a minute, you don't actually have to go to college to get a job. right? College only really trains you to work for someone else. right? We're now in the information age for a long time. We're really deep into it. So now there's all sorts of opportunities on YouTube and Instagram and mm-hmm. uh, TikTok. And uh, what do you need to go to college for? Mm-hmm. So now I need you to break this down, the college experience of how important it is for a anybody let alone a woman yeah give it to me break it down as to why it was so special and why it was kind of def- uh, it kind of molded you
1: and it's probably biased i'm going to say be playing a sport okay okay and, and i also say this because i have twin nieces that are about to be 16 years old next month yep. and they are badass soccer players wow like have played varsity soccer since they were freshmen they play at steel canyon i mean just unbelievable athletes and they play soccer and they're getting ready. They're taking college visits right now. They're getting recruited. I'm very protective of the female college athlete right now. Okay. Because of my experience. Now, and I say that because I was not the superstar at Texas. Okay. So you were the I was a
0: superstar in high school.
1: Yes. And then I got into the real world. And I got into the real world in the sense that I was recruited as a a libero, which was the position I played. You play the, you wear the different colors Jersey. I would say I was like the quarterback of the defense. I Got it. only played on the backcourt. Okay. So at that time, my freshman year, that was not, it was brand new. It was that position was only a couple years old. And at the time coaches believed that they wanted the six foot two, six foot three outside hitters, the six, five middle blockers. Like it was all about offense, right? So this whole defense mindset of defense wins championships, that whole mindset that we now understand. Yeah was a new thought process when I was a freshman. So I was recruited as a libero defensive specialist. Um, And so I go in as a freshman. The other libero, when I was a freshman, the one that was starting, she was a senior. So I'm thinking, okay, this is awesome. She was amazing, Allie. She was amazing. So I'm like, all right, this is perfect. Like, I'm going to learn from her. I'm going to shadow her. I'm going to play under her. I was good with that, right? And then lo and behold, that my sophomore year comes around and there's like three more that come in of the same position. And it's just it, it just got to this point where it was just like again, it's it's division one collegiate, it's a collegiate sport. Like yeah. they are there to win. So as much as you just can't get comfortable, you can't no. think you have a spot, you can't think you have a position. And so it's like, but it, you don't know this. You It doesn't matter how prepared you are or how much your coaches prepare you skill-wise. Like there's nothing that will prepare you to play at that level. And so I got there and I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm like coming from almost like this big fish, right? And then I get into this and I'm now this tiny fish in this huge pond. And then every year it was like, there's more, and there was like more of me, and yeah. there's more of me, and it just got, to, and it, so especially at that level, we were graded, so to say, on everything that we did. I mean, we were in the weight room, and we would we we one rep maxed. So I was like squatting two seventy five by wow. my senior year. Wow. Benching one fifty, cleaning like we were Olympic lifting. We were one rep maxing, and it, everything was was graded like we, believe we that. kept track of all of our stats on the court like if this was our court we would have six seven assistants that would come in every single practice and they would sit on the edges of the court with clipboards and they would be assigned somebody on the court and they would sit there and they would grade like say i would pass and there's it's called a three two or one a three means you it's a perfect pass you could hit you could set it to three hitters right so they would literally take grade every single one of my passes whatever drill we were doing is at a three is at a two that is one And at the end of practice they would add up your score so to say and it was posted in the locker room of your rank of where you stood up against every single one of your teammates in that position wow so since i was a child i feel like i have been stack ranked literally crazy And my performance has been graded and my worth, right? My value has been the stack rank of where I fit. Am I the best or not? Wow. And it's all comes. It all all comes back to full circle to where I am to the day and working in sales and this journey that I've been on over the last few years and that I'm still very much still on of worth, right? Worth and purpose. And we're not a number and we're not defined by. Our stack rank, which is what I've always only known as an athlete. Wow,
0: this is—I love this. This is this is like a unique perspective here. I love it, and that's insane.
1: And granted, we—I have two big 12 championship ranks. Like we went, made it to the final. All right, four. so keep like, going. How did it go? Did
0: you? Did <laughs> yeah. You, were you? Did you win most of the starting positions? Did no. you? No. 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 Did you play a lot?
1: Mmm. Every year got worse, like less and less playing time.
0: Every year got less and less.
1: They just kept coming in and they were better and they're more talented. And it just, I mentally lost it. I Yeah, tell me
0: how that affected you.
1: Oh, because
0: you said college was like the best thing that ever happened to you. You said like outside of, you know, the the story that we're going to tell here soon.
1: Yeah. And I say that because I'm a firm believer in and this will get into the story later, but like my my reactions to things, I'm grateful for everything. In the time and maybe a few years afterwards, like did I know it, right? Did I know that it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me? No, but what I purposely, the mindset that I create or or what I purposely tell myself when situa- bad things happen is you find the good in it, right? right. And so- yep. In, in the moment when I was playing, um, looking back, I was extremely depressed. Really? Oh, I miss, I mean, I couldn't even call my mom without crying, just hearing her voice. I mean, I was just homesick and I was just, I was miserable. Wow. I was extremely depressed. I had the worst anxiety. I mean, to the point where I hated volleyball because I hated going to, pra- I would get sick to my stomach going to practice because I was so freaking nervous to go on that court
0: to be graded on everything you did
1: yeah yeah and it wasn't just on the court right then you go to the weight room then you go do this and then you have school and you have grades in school yeah and (sighs) and then you get into this has always been a thing for me right it's like what do i have control over
0: yeah so this was supposed to um inspire people to go to college chelsea this is this, this is like okay. the this opposite is,
1: no this is this is not about an opposite this is about this is about the fact that
0: couldn't even talk to your mother anxiety well, um
1: it, well no i mean looking back now like i think i'm like i just wish i was a, a better badass and could handle it like maybe i i don't know i maybe i just was do too you think you're
0: alone though i'm sure other girls felt the same way oh yeah right
1: yeah yeah
0: so, oh, man.
1: But, but okay, so out of all of that, right, and how, like, crazy it was to me mentally and how I had all these, like, mental issues, so to say, the experience that I had, though, I would not trade for the world. Why? I could have quit. Yeah, I could have transferred. You could have. You could have. 100%. You didn't. No way. You stuck with it. Absolutely. I was determined. I mean, UT and that, co- I mean, we had our own private jet that would take us to and from our games, We had a charter plane. Wow! Like we, we would have autograph sessions before and after our game. We would literally we went to the Big Twelve. Like we walked down the red carpet to get to the game. Like there is nothing that ever that I ever could have done that would have been better, right? And and knowing what I went through now, again, it's like I'm so grateful that I went through that because now it's like
0: yeah, it's it's like I just feel
1: like totally.
0: Because that was, so basically what you're saying is that really prepared you for the real world.
1: Could not have prepared me more.
0: Okay. So that's good. Now we're getting,
1: So that's where I'm saying it's like, this is not to discourage anybody at all to go to college, like go to freaking college, go play a sport because at the end of the day, nothing will prepare you more in life than, than having to perform and handle pressure and. And balance life, right? I yep. had school, I had practice, I wanted a social life. I wanted to go do things, like, it taught me how to schedule. It taught me how to balance and find, like, I mean, it literally, there's nothing that it didn't teach me other than, like, I mean, I, I owe my success and where I'm at in my career and my life to going through that experience. Wow. 100%, Wow. absolutely
0: wow okay so beyond so you got to the senior year yeah okay so what do you okay what am i going to do next
1: so i actually tore my mcl acl back back backstory it was yeah. the game before it was thanksgiving or yeah thanksgiving the game before it was the last game of our conference play big 12 and senior year uh junior year junior and we were playing in missouri and we were it was like warm-up like getting ready pre-game and I went down to dig a ball, and for like I just felt my knee just given. I was like, "Oh God, here we go." Same situation. Didn't want to say anything, but I'm like, "Holy!" So I continued to try to like do the drill for a couple moves, and then Ooh. it got to the point where I just like locked up, and I couldn't even try to do play think? because. And then also too, if I continued to try to play, and I would shank a ball or do something wrong, I'm gonna get killed at right. Yeah. Like it was that intense. So at that point, I like walked over to the side of my trainer, and I was like, "I, I did something." like something's going on here. So she sat me down on the bench, started moving around my knee and was like, yep, we're going to get you a leg brace. Like you're done. So we flew home, stayed. We had the game that night, flew home and it was Thanksgiving. Yeah. So everything was closed. Did they do an MRI? Nothing until Monday of that next week because it was Thursday, Thanksgiving, Friday, the weekend, everything was closed. So I was at home on my bed by myself cooped up in my home i couldn't go anywhere i couldn't get an mri there was actually a texas football game as well because you know it's thanksgiving there was a home texas football game everybody on my team would have been there there, and i'm like sitting at home by myself injured don't have mommy and daddy don't have anybody and i'm just like sitting here on thanksgiving like cool so monday went in got an mri lo and behold i didn't completely tear my acl but i did tear my mcl i tore my mcl stretched my acl so, it wasn't enough to have to have surgery where your MCL looked. Um, and again, this was over 10 years ago. So, it was a lot different. Tearing your ACL back then was like bad. It was like career ending. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, MCL, they said, well, it could heal on its own. You're fine. You don't need surgery. But that just means you're going to have to heal on your own. That could be six months. Who knows? Yes. So, I just ended up finishing out my uh, junior year rehabbing. That year, we made it to the NCAA uh, Final Four. So I'm in a full leg brace traveling with my team, thank God. But like literally on the sideline, like dog piling, like waddling to the court, like with a leg brace because I'm injured, still got to experience it. But I was, you know, hurt. And how depressing is that? Right. So I go home that summer going into my senior year to finish like rehab and just like have a break because we all get a little bit of a summer break. And I got a second opinion when I got home because I was getting ready to go back for my senior year. Got in a second opinion from a doctor out here, and lo and behold, my MCL didn't heal properly. Mm. So it was still, it was just like, and I, and again, I knew it. And that's why we got a second opinion because yeah. I just, it just didn't feel right. Like I was training and I was trying to go back to play at my club with like some of my old coaches, and it just like, it was just still didn't feel connected. Mm. So lo and behold, it was still um, partially torn, my MCL. And so it was just like at that point where, again, looking back now, right? I was actually so depressed. I was miserable. Yeah. I, I, I'd burn out. Like I lost the love of the sport because it turned into a different experience right. at that level. Yep. And as I talked about like throughout that time, like I was depressed, I was, I had anxiety. Like I just, I didn't love it anymore. And so it was at that moment that I honestly like looked up and I just said, thank God I have an out. You have an out, yeah. Cause I never would have quit JD, never. Yeah. I I never in my life have I ever allowed myself to quit gymnastics, right? Yep. I I don't let myself, I'm not a quitter. That was like my thing. It was like, you don't quit. You don't give up. And this is going to tie into my story. Yep. This is a theme to it. It's, I didn't quit gymnastics. I didn't quit. I was forced out looking back. Now I'm now five, eight. Could I go be a a gymnast at that point? I'm five, eight. And looking back now, like, was that going to be it? No, Right. no. Right. It allowed me to get into volleyball volleyball then i get into college i go through this experience and i had an out without having to give up yes. without having to quit yeah so my senior year i i got to live life
0: yeah it was the best year you had, had probably
1: best year of my college experience wow in the sense that i and then looking back now again it's like i got to experience the best of both worlds you did i wouldn't change anything for those first three years even though all the pain and the heartache and everything that I'd gone through and and just like the freaking struggle that experience of like being a freaking athlete at UT and playing oh, yeah. volleyball and like selling out our gym and making it to the final four and like just that experience like un unfric- I look at my diploma every single day I never ever would have left that school I, I love I love UT but then again we- I just, I, I, it was the best four years.
0: That's an incredible story. Yeah. Um, and and so now it, so, okay. So now you get to senior year. Now, do you start thinking about what you're going to do next? Oh yeah. Okay.
1: So at that point, I'm like, again, living the best of both worlds. I still have a little bit of the perk of being an athlete, right? Like I still like. I'm going to the all the football games. I still have all my friends that are athletes, so I'm still kind of living that athlete life, yep. but not having to wake up at six a.m. every morning or having the pressures and the anxieties. Like I just got to go out on Thursday if I wanted yeah, to. Just enjoyed. Yeah, and then um, I went to for the first time ever because we couldn't. I went to um, Texas OU weekend, which is the Red River Rivalry. Yep. In Dallas, and so I went out and I got to go to that with some of my girlfriends that I had made that were actually Palm like cheerleaders who had been done in Palm. So anyways, we went out there, we went to that game and we had front row seats because again, being an athlete, we got like great seats to things. And we had front row tickets, like literally like at the railing of this huge football game. And I ended up getting on the Jumbotron and I'm like going crazy. And I just like feel this energy of just like, there's just something about being there still involved on the sidelines, being in that feeling of being an athlete and like I have so much respect for athletes and 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 I still had that, right yeah. But I wasn't on the sideline in the pressure right And at that time I was a communications major and so I was gonna go be like a, a mark like I was gonna go do like PR or like something like that. I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my career other than I just I like to talk. So anyways, I'm on the sideline and I have that whole experience and I'm like, you know what? I'm not done with sports. Like, I'm not done with this feeling, this yeah. energy, yeah. this like passion that I have. But I also know that I'm done with sports, right? Like, I'm not going to go play. F- I'm, I'm done. So it was at that moment that I was like, you know what? I want to go be a sideline reporter. Like, I want to. That was the moment. That was the moment. Like, this is really freaking amazing. And how cool would I get to go be like on the sideline experiences, like live in this world, but not have to have the pressure of it. Yeah. So it was at that moment that I had only, you know, again, I only had a few more months like left of college or whatever. And so my dad, being a golf professional here in San Diego, he actually used to be the golf coach for the Chargers back in the day. This was like Hank Bauer time, yeah. Jim Lazovic time. Like he used to be their golf coach and wow. he would do golf tournaments for them. So my dad was still very connected in the community. And so I was telling my dad and I was like telling my family that I wanted to get into sports reporting. Also at the time, I mean, it was too late for me to then become a communication um um whatever, like a community um sports reporting journalism. Like a major Sorry, okay, journalism. Journal, Yeah. Yeah. It was too late for me to become a journalist major. Right. And um I didn't know where to turn or how to do that. And the Longhorn Network was not a thing yet at Texas. So the only way for me to become an NFL sideline reporter or become a football reporter is if I were to move back home because in Austin, you know, they don't have a professional sports team. Yep. They had no they had nothing out there again at the time. So I moved back to San Diego, and my dad connected me to Jim Lazdovic here at NBC in San Diego, and that man again, like I owe my career to him and the guys and and Derek Togerson and and those guys at NBC. I um, they gave me an internship at NBC here in San Diego. Wow. And so I that's how I started. You know, I met Corey, and I met all the like Jock, like I met. A lot of, I would go and do opening day and I would do sideline for the Aztecs. And I like got to live this world as the intern, but I would be going on the sideline. And I would be helping to write and edit. And, and I worked, you know, for Jim to help write and edit him behind the scenes. And then um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, um, so, you know, Paul Rudy in the Prep Pigskin Report? Yes. Yeah. 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 So Jim actually made a comment. So my internship was up, right? And I still wanted to be the sideline reporter. So Jim, reached out to Paul Rudy over at KUSI and said, Hey, I have this girl that just did this internship with me. I ended up making a reel, which is funny. It's on YouTube. You can see like some of my blurbs and like all my different things. And, um, he said, you know, do you have any positions opening for the prep pigskin report? So lo and behold, I went and did the prep pigskin report for three years. I was on air with Paul. I did that. I have the red jacket still in my closet. um, Worked for him, did the all sports report, ended up doing like all the volleyball, like you know, really getting involved in that. And then um, sent my reel out to go try to get, it's kind of like your resume, right? Like right. you send it out yeah. to the media. And I had a couple job offers out in Fairbanks, Alaska. Alaska. And Sherman, Texas. I'm like, this little San Diego girl, you're gonna send me to Fairbanks, Alaska for $30,000? Yeah. Like my first reaction was like, heck no. And it was at that moment (laughs) that I realized, like, I clearly didn't love it enough. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have taken any opportunity. Anything. And I'm the kind of like, make me start at the bottom all day. Like, I get that you have to go start small, network, and then work your way up. And totally, I I get that. Believe me, I'm into hard work. Yeah. But, I was like, you know what? This isn't it for me. Who
0: Who are you looking up to at this point? That was That was on sideline reporters, or I mean,
1: that was like the big Aaron Aaron Andrews. Aaron Andrews was my girl. Yeah. 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 I mean, to the point where I was, I was blonde. Like you look back at my Instagram and I was bleached blonde. Like I was trying to be that whole, like I was trying to have the look, like the whole thing. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, And so it was at that moment that I was like, you know what? Again, my whole, my whole thought process was like, if I, if I was that passionate about it, I would be willing to do anything and everything. Yeah. And I was not willing to move. I was not willing to do that. So you
0: realize then that this isn't really a passion here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, it wasn't cracked up to. It just yeah. wasn't all cracked up to what it looks like. Yes, like media, like anything else we see, it's not of real. Course. Exactly, it's not real. Exactly. And I'm grateful for that opportunity in those four years or those three years that I had to do it, because now I realize, looking back now at the Aaron Andrews and these sideline reporters, it's like kind of like been there, done that to an extent. We're like, it's not what's cracked up to me. Right. Just like the media, right? Yeah. It's literally it's that. It's a
0: whole nother ball game. Yep. Behind the scenes, we yep. call it. Right. Yep. Okay, so then what'd you do?
1: So my oldest sister, my, my family's such a badass. Uh, my oldest sister, who I look up to, is one of my biggest role models. Um, she actually lives in Sacramento with my brother-in-law and my two nieces. But anyways, she works in sales. She first worked for, before I knew, like this was like me when I was younger, but she worked for Xerox. And then she got into medical device sales. And she was in medical device sales at this point in my life. And I just saw her lifestyle, so to say. Yeah. I mean, she was just absolutely crushing it. Right. Um, Work-life balance. Like, she just, I was like, holy, I need to get into that. Yeah. Like, how do I get into that? So she said, well, like, like anything, you start at the bottom, right? So she got me in touch with her medical device recruiter. And Russ, I'm still good friends with to this day. He said, well, you know what, like, you need to go start at like your your tech sales, like your entry level, like pay um, you know, paychecks, ADP, oh, adult yeah, yeah, canon, yeah, yeah. right? Like down at the bottom. So I went out and had a couple job offers. My sister started at Xerox. And she looked at me and she said, Chelsea, go anywhere but Xerox. She goes, Don't sell copiers. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, well thanks for that when, advice. When
0: was she selling copiers?
1: That was her first job, like right out of college when she was getting into sales. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's good to know. So then Russ was like, but ADP is honestly has the best automatic data processing. Yep, it like, yep, has yep. the best training. Payroll. Payroll, yep. He's like, has the best training, has the best, that's like the best entry level first job that you could essentially get. It's going to, and so I was like, all right, fine. So I went out, interviewed for ADP, and lo and behold, actually ended up getting the job on, on the spot, which they, at the time, I mean, they told me, who knows if that's true or not, but like, they don't usually hire on the spot. Yep. And he did like my my manager, who ended up being my manager the entire time. Um, he hired me on the spot. Wow! And I was a little bit older, so a lot of the people at ADP are like fresh out of college, yeah. right? It's entry level. We would literally go to recruiting events at so you, colleges.
0: Late twenties at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: I was twenty six, and so I was a little bit of like the the old soul in yeah. at old the company. Soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty six. Yeah. So anyway, so I um, did that. Uh, ended up making Presence Club Like was extremely successful And became a manager after three years Like just absolutely just like was crushing it
0: So so what, what would you attribute you Like your success at ADP Yeah What would you attribute your success to there why, why, How'd you become successful Was it your sports background was Oh, it, yeah.
1: oh was it, yeah Was it
0: what you went through at Texas Oh
1: yeah All of it
0: Like it was Competitive it had, Cause at that point it's like tech. It's like nothing but a thing mm-hmm. Right Yeah Compared to what you went through
1: Oh yeah Oh yeah like I just I don't know anything else other than like you just work your ass off. Yeah, I was business card flyer, do- door knocking. Yeah, I think this might have been my territory at one point. Like just literally walking into business owners, walking in business doors, uh, and just like asking for the owner and saying like I need a meeting with you. Like just just grit. Like I and, just can't and, stop, won't stop.
0: Yes, and 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 you're you know. A brief uh, stint as a reporter, yeah, that gave you courage and you know to, to interact with people, yep. right? Yeah, so it, it all came together. Okay, yep. so keep going.
1: Okay, so I don't know how much time we have. Sorry, no, you're good. Okay,
0: you're good. Don't worry about the time. Okay, that's my that's okay. Because I saw you. are okay. good.
1: Okay, so um,
0: no, he because we got the when we have the two videos going, uh batteries and stuff like that. So he'd give me signals. And oh, okay, stuff. okay, So Yeah, you're okay. fine. So you're so good. We're I on track. Okay, no, we're on track.
1: So um, and it, it was a actually ended up making presence club my first year. And that's what I said when I was sitting across the table with the manager. He said, "Well, what do you what's your goal, goal, And I said, "I'm going to make presence club." I said, "If I don't make presence club on my first year, fire me." Yeah. Like that was just like what you do. Yeah. You win. You win championships, yeah. right? So made presence club my freshman year, Um, freshman year, my first year, second year presence club, got promoted and became a manager after my second year. Was a sales executive for 2 years and then it was at that point that I was just like I said, making more money than I ever thought I could. And not at that age, bought my condo, like had everything in the world, but I just didn't feel fulfilled. Fulfilled. Right. Yeah. Like I just, right. I just didn't feel like that wasn't my forever. Yeah. And I loved the adrenaline. I loved to win and I loved all these like accolades on the surface. Right. But internally, it was like, I was just burnt out. Like, this is just not what I want to stack rank, this whole thing. Like, so kind of
0: went, went back to the whole stack rank thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Every single mm. Monday, we would walk in and we would do roll. It's called roll call, and they would literally list us every single rep in the office and how much, you know, how much you sold that week and where you stood year to date. I mean, it was it was it was college wow. volleyball all over again, but not physical. It was at this point just mental, and it was just like the whole motto at ADP was um, um, activity breeds results. So whoever's doing the most activity, right? You you make the most cold calls, you go knock on the most doors, you go do you longer wow. days you work. Like that's what's going to give you the results. Like that was just what I was just ingrained in. And I just got to this point after like I said 4 and a half, 5 years and I just thought I'm just burnt out. Yeah. This is not why I'm on this earth. Like this is not fulfilling me. Right. And so I've always had a pes- passion for like the medical industry, the medical world. Um, I actually did a fitness show after college. Like I was really into like the fitness journey and just our, you know, health, health and wellness. Yep. And so again, my sister being in medical devices, I thought that's what I want to do. Like I want to go have the best of both worlds at this point. I want the relationships. I want the work-life balance. I want the money. But I want to go sell something that I'm freaking passionate about, right. right? And that people care about at this yeah. point. People don't care about a p- payroll software. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. so So... Um, it was at that point that I then um, ended up getting a. I went through a couple of interviews and didn't get them, didn't get the jobs, and then um, lo and behold, um, was like, all right, fine, I'm, I'm where I need to be. Like, continue to like just kind of push through it, and then all of a sudden, I was approached by Stryker. Hmm. Um, which is a huge medical device yep, company. Yep. Like name, like of all, anybody that wants to work in medical devices, like Stryker is the company. And so again, normally they don't hire anybody straight out with no medical device experience. And somehow I ended up getting the job. And, and how, I, how
0: old are you now at this point?
1: At this point, I was 30 31, 32?
0: 32, 32, okay. yeah,
1: uh-huh. yeah, Um. And so, yeah, this was like right before, Yeah, I was 32. And so I become the only spine, interventional spine rep in San Diego. So I am covering all of San Diego out into like El Centro. No hospital experience, no medical experience, no medical background, no nothing. I am now, I own San Diego in the interventional spine space. Wow. And here you go go get it
0: okay so where so give me keep going
1: so keep i going. just the kind of i guess the kind of person i am i again where there's a will there's a way you just figure it out yeah it's what i've yep. always had to do it's so on the, me, your, your territory right?
0: was san diego
1: literally all of san diego wow every hospital every pain center like
0: what are the odds of that because normally you have to travel a lot right
1: yeah, so I was just San Diego, like I said, all the way into El Centro. There was another rep who I'm still like, extremely good friends with to this day. He was like Orange County. So yeah. I covered everything up to essentially like Orange County area. But I mean, I was covering all of the ho- main hospitals, like the UCSDs. The Did you
0: love it right away? Or oh, you like, yeah. Grr.
1: No, I loved it right loved away. It. Like adrenaline, loved it. But looking back, I, I think I, I, I loved it, kind of like the sports reporting. I loved it for the title. I loved it for the the scrubs, right? Getting to wear scrubs and not dressing up every day. I loved it for what I said I did. Yeah, because it was Striker, and what do you do? Oh, I work in medical device sales. Like, oh damn, that girl. the 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 thought process behind meeting somebody that works in medical device sales—it's you make a crap ton of money. Yep. Right. Oh yeah. And you're like, wow, because it's hard to get into. Oh yeah especially striker, especially in my role, especially being hired with no experience. Like it was just very surface.
0: Have you watched my uh, podcast with Kat, Katrin Fernald? Mm-mm, not yet. That's what she does. Okay, she's yeah. A, she's a beast. Yeah. You gotta watch, she's, See, a, she's and, a beast. And that's the
1: thing, yeah. like to, to do it and be successful and make it and love it, like it is a different, you're a beast, that said, you're a different breed.
0: She has a wellness clinic, that's mm. another story. Mm. And that's her passion. Yeah, the wellness clinic is her yeah ingrained passion. Yeah. Yes, of and so that's usually why and, yep.
1: we get into it, right? Yep. Is because at this point, I am now selling a product that I'm extremely passionate about. I'm now changing people's lives, literally, because I'm I'm going in and selling a product and and at the operating table with these surgeons asking me how to use my device, um, to fix a vertebral compression fracture, to literally have a patient from. Lying on the table in pain to walking out of the hospital, yep. like that is what my product was able to do these people's lives. So that is what woke me up every day to go do this job and why I That's loved great. it. And that, like, that is what got me going. However, again, now behind the scenes, right? Yep. Like referring back to that sidelines thing, it's it's not what it's about. Yeah. Like, I loved my surgeons. I loved my doctors that I had to work with. Still friends with them today. But like, they didn't care. They worked for these big box hospitals, right?
0: Right. Money.
1: They didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted to do the best procedure possible, but they didn't They didn't have the passion yep. as much as me. Right. right. Like I'm in there working, selling this one product for a reason because I'm changing people's lives. Like it, that is what woke me up every morning. This is what I'm thinking, you know? And then I'm going and actually working hands-on with, they didn't care. No. Yeah. Got it. So, this leads in, yeah. And so this leads into the story. So, <laughs> an hour and a half later. No, so, no, you're
0: good. We're, we're, we're good.
1: Uh, COVID happens. Yep. Okay. So, I'm working with Stryker. I'm loving it. And then all of a sudden, COVID happens. We are all, as the entire world, shut down, right? Cold turkey. For the first time in my life, I get to just slow down. I get to just stop. Yeah. I get to breathe and think. And I'm going through COVID and I'm, you know, I don't have surgeries. Like we were considered elective surgeries, which is also mind blowing because we were pain and they considered that elective. So we were completely cut out. So then it's like, all right, mm-hmm. for the first, again, for the first time ever, it's were like- you like
0: furloughed? What, what happened?
1: No, no, no. Like I was still like technically- I was still technically working, but it was like only we weren't allowed to just go show up to hospitals like we used to. Yeah, it was like we were only going to surgeries if we got called in for the surgery. But because I mean, it was kind of like we. I just made a crap ton of money, and I, I would go hiking, right? Okay, go on runs, go do things. It was like anything else. Like never, we were still employed. I mean, we were a medical device company. We weren't going anywhere, but we didn't have procedures to go cover. Right, which was what we what was our job, right? Exactly. So um, at this point, for the first time ever, I'm going out now and I'm able to do things that I've never done before. And I've had the time to think and focus and work on myself and and do all these things and dig into that I've never had the time, I've never allowed myself to just slow down. Wow. And so, um, at the time COVID happens, I'm I'm dating someone. And um, he was very, very active in the fitness community. And we actually met from like the gym I work out at. And so we would just, that's what we did. We would go on hikes and we would, Exercise and I, I got like the best shape of my life during COVID, and it's like funny because some people say that they got in the worst shape of their life. I got in the best shape of my life. I did too. I started running outside. I hate running. Started running, hiking things I've never done. Like I would go and just I was I allowed myself. I would work out outside the gym. I've never. I never thought I could work out outside a gym because since I was three years old, all I'd ever did was I was in a a gym. gym. I lifted weights. Like that's how I thought that that's how you work out. That's how you get results. That's like, that's what I thought fitness was about. Exactly. And all of a sudden I became, I got in the best shape of my life. I felt I've never felt better mentally, physically in my life from being outside. Right. Yep. And I just fell in love with this new life of just being, of just slowing down. Yep. Enjoying life. Enjoying life. Really? Yeah. And so this will lead into the story, Yep. okay? This is what, really what, this is what it's about. So um, during COVID, nothing really else to do, right? Cook and hike. Jeff was his name, Um, big hiker from Colorado. He loved the snow, he was a big snowboarder, ice, snow, hiking, he had climbed Whitney a couple times. So thankful for him, he got me to go try something new and we started going on hikes. Yep. And when I say hikes, it was like we had our hiking poles, right? But like it was nothing technical. We didn't have ropes or anything like that. We would just go do the elevation. I was in it for the workout, the challenge. And then there was nothing like being at the top of the mountain. To me, that was my as close as I could get to God as possible. Yep. I would sit at the top of the mountain and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the higher I am, the closer I am to him, right? So I just had this different spiritual connection And you at had this always time. been spiritual, right? Always been spiritual since I was a little girl.
0: Your parents, you grew up Christian, what? But-
1: so, my, um, my mom raised my sisters and I. We were Lutheran. Okay. I am Lutheran. Yep. My mom raised us in the church. My dad actually grew up, his side um, didn't grow up with much, with anything real of a spiritual background, but um, it was actually Jewish. His side of the family wow. was Jewish, okay. but then his immediate family, his parents and everything, they didn't, they celebrated Christmas in the sense that it was Christmas, right? But didn't have any sort of faith. So, then when he met my mom, my mom said, my one caveat to this is that's fine you you be you but i want to raise our children in the mm. church so she raised my sisters and i and all of us to this day sisters all of us on my mom's side we are all to this day very uh still connected into the church got it okay so um top
0: of the mountain top of the to mountain god.
1: closer to god like i just fell in love and i just had this new appreciation connection i was living my best life during covid um so Jeff had these big aspirations. He wanted to go climb Everest. Like he he was very extreme. He was very big into like big hikes. And for me, I was like, I'm good with that. Like I'll help train. We'll get there and we'll go do some, they're called like 14ers, right? 14,000 yeah. feet mountains. But besides that, like I'm not trying to do anything in the snow. I'm not trying to do anything technical. So lo and behold, we do, it's called the Six Pack of Peaks, which are out in San Bernardino. We start doing these incredible, beautiful hikes that are, you know, 12,000 feet. 11, 12,000 feet. And he said, okay, well, you know, I want to go do um, Mount Hood is a big one. Shasta is 14er. Like, we just started getting more and more into it. Yep. And so the weekend before we went and climbed Mount Shasta, we went and climbed. It's called Cactus to Clouds. It's out in Palm Springs. It's 33 miles round trip. We did it in two days. You literally start down in the desert in Palm, in Palm Springs. And you end up at the top, you are in mountains, which is cactus to clouds. We yep. started at 2 a.m. in the morning because it's hot as heck, right? You're in the desert. You're going, we're climbing this mountain and we did it in 33 miles. And it's one of my pictures that I have. Besides volleyball and some of the, like that is the most extreme hardest hike hardest challenge i've ever put myself wow so i was just having these just moments of just like unstoppable um feeling of accomplishment and uh so anytime you know he was like all right let's go do this one let's go more 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 so we did that the weekend before we decided we had planned to go to mount shasta mount shasta is in northern california yep and it is actually a glacier so we went out the day before we drove out to mount shasta we went to rei down the street actually and we had to go get all of my gear because i didn't have anything to prepare me for a glacier yep. so that was always our thing was we prepare for the worst and pray for the best that was like our motto when we would go on because we didn't know what we were getting into right right? you never know when you're going and doing this so we went and bought me they're like they're called crampons they're these um spikes that you put on the bottom of your shoes we bought me an ice axe we bought me a helmet we bought all these things i dropped way too much money at rei to get me all this gear because we're going to a glacier to go hike this 14,000 foot mountain to get us ready to go do hood which is another one yep and so we drive out to Mount Shasta and we would always camp. So we would go out, usually we do half the hike, camp and get up and do it the rest of the hike right. the next day. This time we went out there, we went about a mile, camped, and then woke up the next morning because even though Mount Shasta is only is, is fourteen thousand feet, yep. it's not a long hike. It's only about eight miles. But it's the elevation, right? I mean, it's like straight up to get to 14,000 feet. Yep. So we went about a mile, we camped, and then we were just planning on doing it just a day hike because you could do that much in In one one day. day. So it was beautiful. Woke up the next morning, it was beautiful. It was all dirt and rock and we're just walking through the mountains and it was just beautiful. We were the only two out there because technically, looking back now, um, again, not knowing anything about mountains or anything, um, We should not have been out there. It was not the time of year to go down there. It was actually closed because this is the end of September and hiking a glacier, the end of September is just, it was...
0: You don't do it. Again,
1: knowing now, don't do it. (laughs) So...
0: And you guys didn't know this going in.
1: I did not know it. You did
0: not. Going in.
1: I did not ask questions. He is... um, he was my boyfriend. I trusted him. Yep. I knew nothing. Yep. And knowing me, I am not someone to say no or give up or me trying to be the badass that I am. I wanted to be the cool girlfriend, right? Yep. No, no other comment about that. So anyways, we go uh, go up this mountain. And lo and behold, it's like, like I said, all dirt, rock. We're getting up there. And we're at about 12,000 feet. And uh, we realize it's like four thirty in the afternoon, and we're thinking, we don't have time for this. We're checking the sunset, and we're like, we don't have time to hit fourteen thousand. We, you know, to hit and come back down without it being dark. And he says, we got to turn around. And I'm like, no, like we're almost there. Like, come on, like let's just keep going. Like, let's do it. And he's like, Chelsea, this was great practice. Like, you did awesome. Twelve thousand feet. This is the highest we've ever been like so proud of you, but we've got to turn around. Like It is what it is. We were just using this to do a training anyways because we're going to go do hood. We'll come back to it. No big deal, right? And I'm like, all right, fine. So I agree that at this moment, it was time to turn around. We go to turn around and I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know the trail. I don't know anything other than all of a sudden, we turn around to go down the mountain and the entire thing is covered in rock Solid ice. And I i have no idea. People are like, well, why did you turn around? Why didn't you go back to, and I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. You're, maybe the elevation, maybe cuckoo. So I don't know. So it wasn't know.
0: ice on the way up, but it was no. ice on the way back.
1: Yeah. It was completely dirt on the way up. Like, beautiful dirt, rock, no big deal. And the entire thing, it's like black ice, right? Like solid ice. And we're looking at each other and we're like, what the hell just happened? And we could see to the left of us, about thirty yards away, where that dirt and rock was that we came up. So somehow, somewhere, we managed to get off path, which we pretty much did every single hike we ever went on. It and yeah. it's hard to stay on the path, right? But you find a way. But at this point, we couldn't get back. I mean, it was rock solid ice, and so we and both you couldn't
0: go back to the rocks.
1: I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really don't even remember at this point, like what had happened. And so we both sit down he's sitting next to me and i sit down we're both sitting down on this ice and we're just like looking down this mountain we could see to the left of us where the dirt was and we're just going okay we just got to get over like we clearly can't get down we're at twelve thousand feet it's covered in ice not a a, not a clear patch we just have to get over and he said but the only way that we're going to get over is we have to walk over so we sat down, he put my crampons on my shoes because at this point I had never used them in my life. I had taken them out of the box out of my car that morning before we had even gone yeah. anywhere. Yep. So we're just sitting there. And I mean, I'm scared shitless just sitting on the ice as he's like trying to like adjust my crampons on my shoes. And I'm just sitting here going, holy crap, I am so scared. I am so scared, I just went off this mountain. I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this. And this is me thinking in my head, right? Yeah. yeah. The person who doesn't give up, the person that will never say no, I'm in my heart going, I just want off this mountain. But I knew in my heart the only way to get off that mountain was to call for help and that would be a helicopter and the whole thing. And I just, I could not get myself to tell Jeff that I just didn't want to do it. I couldn't let him know that I wanted to give up, right? So I'm sitting here and he puts my crampons on me he puts his gear on. We have our helmets on. He, we pull out our ice axe from our backs. We have packs on, you know, like 50-pound packs that we had hiked up on. And he goes, okay, so we're going to go this way. And he's, like, literally teaching me how to use my ice axe as we're sitting there. And he's, like, okay, we got to get over. We got to just take this path, and we're, like, trying to plan this out. I'm, like, okay. He gets up, starts leading the way, takes two steps, and goes down. And I'm just sitting there, watching him go down.
0: Go down, meaning sliding
1: all the way down the mountain. And thank the Lord, JD. I had my cell phone. It happened to be charged, which the weekend before I had learned because when we climbed San Jacinto, the weekend before I did not bring a phone charger. My phone had died. I had a did not have a phone the entire second half of the t- of the climb when we were in. Palm Springs the weekend before. So, this time when we were hiking, I had learned from the weekend before I brought two phone chargers. My phone was fully charged in my fanny pack. I picked out my phone as I see him going down the mountain, sliding down the mountain. I'm just still sitting there and I pick up my phone. I have phone service and I'm able to call 911. And I call 911 and they get the sheriff's department on the phone because we're out in Shasta right and so at this point they're asking me all these questions and i'm telling them like i'm out here on my i'm just explaining to them what's going on and i could see jeff lying at the bottom of the mountain at this point he's not moving and i don't know what's going on and they're asking me how questions, far where down are all you. the way down i mean to the point where it had leveled out like yeah like it, it leveled out enough for him to stop sliding and they're asking me questions like where are you what's going on and i uh I said, I don't know. Like my boyfriend, he had a garment. He would on those watches. Like he always had the trail on his watch. Like he knew everything. I just was in it for the elevation and the exercise and whatever, the hike, right? The connection to God. And they're asking me this question. I'm like, I don't know where I am. I don't know. I just need you to get out here.
0: Did you remember the mountain you were on?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I was at Shasta, but they were asking me, you know, like what side? Did you go up on the north side? Did you go up on this side? And I'm like, I don't know where I went up. I don't know. I, I, I just was on it. And I said, all I know is that I'm on this mountain. I'm sitting here scared shitless on this ice. I see my boyfriend lying at the bottom of the mountain, not moving. I need somebody out here. Because all I kept thinking about was, I just want to be off this thing and I want to be down there with him. And they said, okay, well, we need to get off the phone and we need to have the search and rescue team call you because they're the ones that are going to need to come out and get you. And I said, no way in hell are we going to hang up this phone and you're going to have somebody call me at 12,000 feet Merge them in, and they said no. They have to actually personally call you. So I get off the phone, and lo and behold, about two minutes later, I get an incoming phone call from a whatever area code that's out there in Shasta. So I legit had phone service <sighs> at twelve thousand feet. My God! And the search and rescue team is asking me questions and asking where I am, and I'm like, I don't know. And they and at this point, I could see Jeff lying at the bottom of the mountain, and he he got up. And he got up on his knees, like kind of like a snowboard stance, right? He like got up on his knees to like, like look like, and with that, I started screaming at him, right? Like Jeff, like I'm coming, like you just stay where you are. Like, and so this, the search and rescue team, they said, oh, well, if he's moving and if he's alive, it's going to take us four and a half hours to get a helicopter out to come light flight you off this hel- off this mountain. Oh my God. And they said, so if he's alive and he's moving, you could either try to get down to him or just stay where you are And we'll be there in four and a half hours. And at that point, I see Jeff, you know, like he's attempting to move, right? And with that, I see him fall again. And I get off the phone immediately at this point. I said, just get out here and get off the phone. And I tried to go down to him. And I slipped and fell. And I don't remember a thing J.D., until I feel someone just tugging at me. And with that.
0: So you tried going down. Did you try to get over to the rocks? No. You just wanted to, you slid down.
1: Well, so I started going in the way that we were going to go, like, so I could get, you know, to get back to the dirt, right? Like, so I started, I took two steps, like, trying to lead the way. And I just lost my, I remember losing my ice axe. And with that, just, like, losing, I, I, I just, I fell.
0: And the next thing you know, you you woke woke up.
1: I, 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 I just feel someone tugging at me. It's like I wasn't even awake, right? I just felt like something moving me. And with that, I felt a release again. And I blacked out again. I woke up in the hospital. I broke my leg. I dislocated my clavicle, fractured my spine, fractured my ribs. I had hypothermia, a concussion. And I said, my, So I have a metal rod and screws in my leg that will be forever. And it was already surgically done. And I woke up and I just said, Well, they're telling me all these things. And I'm like, Well, where's, where's Jeff? Like, well, what's going on? Like, thinking he was in the room next to me. Like, what? And they said, No, honey, he didn't make it. And with that, went back to sleep. I think it was a day later I woke back up. I woke up to my my mom. My sister, my oldest sister who happens to live in Sacramento happened to be at Lake Shasta that weekend for her I'm telling you. She, she happened had, to be I had no
0: idea you were going there.
1: Nope. I tried calling her. That day that we were driving out to Shasta to say, Thrys, guess what? Guess where Jeff and I are headed right now? We're going to go climb Shasta. But because she was out on a boat, she didn't have phone service. So I never actually talked to her to tell her that I was going out there. So my mom got the 4 a.m. phone call that I was in an accident. My parents, remember, are here in San Diego. It is a 12-hour drive to Shasta. My sister...
0: So you got the call at 4 a.m.?
1: Yeah, like after the... So what had happened... So what had happened was it took them so long, right, to rescue And yes. we could go back yeah. into the details correct. of like how long I was on the mountain and 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 how long I was in two different ambulances. I was I had two different helicopters out there. Like apparently they shut down the freeway, landed the Like there's a lot of detail that we haven't gotten into. But by the time I was transported to the correct hospital, because I was too trauma at the first hospital they transported me to mercy reading by the time they took me in surgically you know did my leg i didn't have my cell phone at that point so i guess when i was rescued my backpack my cell phone everything had disappeared and so they didn't have any information about me they didn't have they didn't know who i was with they didn't know anything So by the time my parents got the phone call after my surgery after they the cops after the sheriff after they figured out what was going on digging through my fanny pack or whatever it was pinging my phone um my parents had to then they they told my parents what how injured i was and i was literally laid up right broken leg and fractured spine my parents have smaller like like smaller cars like a smaller mercedes and so they had to now it was 4 a.m on a sunday They now had to rent a car large enough to drive out to Shasta so that they could get me from the hospital, lay me in the back seat to drive me home. So it took my parents, by the time they could get all the details and get the car and drive out 12 hours, it took them about two days to get out to me in the hospital. So my sister was the one, Sarissa was the one that my parents called. She had happened to be getting off the boat. By the time my mom had called her on Sunday, she was getting off the boat, so she had phone service. So my mom was able to call Sarissa and say, Sarissa, please don't go home. You're in Shasta. Please go over to Mercy Redding. Your sister's in the hospital there. I need you to go beat with her because I won't be there for two days. It was during covid they weren't letting people in the hospitals. So my mom and my dad were driving out together, but they're only allowing a certain amount of people into the hospital at a certain time. And depending on how injured the person is, is whether or not you could have visitors. So my sister was able to essentially talk her way into getting into the hospital. Maybe it was her medical device background where she knows how, knows sure. how to talk to hospitals and doctors. So she's actually who I woke up to um, until my mom and dad got there. Then i woke up for a second time to my mom i never got to see my dad they never let my mom and my dad in my mom ended up staying with me and sleeping next to me in the hospital bed while my dad had to then go get my car still at the shasta mountain that we drove out there and drove my car home anyways i was in the hospital for a week uh essentially you know Controlling me, I have pictures. You'll see it on my Instagram. I mean, I was just—I um, was literally on my deathbed.
0: And so, when they told you Jeff didn't make it, did could you even could you even process that?
1: No. No. And 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 they ended up putting me back to sleep because they mind body right, and this is where I get emotional. But like, how you think mentally. Right and stress and 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 thoughts, right, affect you how you are physically. So they were very concerned to begin with to even tell me about Jeff because they needed my body to heal Mm. because I was so trauma that they didn't want to bring any more stress and any more pain and any more um, even emotionally, right? It causes a lot of pain. They needed my body to heal. So. They didn't even initially want to tell me about Jeff because they needed me to recover first. They didn't want to add any more to what was already going on to me. So they put me back to sleep. And again, woke up the day later. And that was just, I was so, honestly, like probably drugged out. So shocked. So, I, I, I don't even know. I don't remember much about like the hospital other than, nurses coming in and out, me just trying to get up to go to the bathroom. Me just like I didn't have a phone, I didn't have communication with anybody. His roommates were trying to call me, people were calling the hospital bed, people sheriffs, they were trying to ask me questions about Jeff to get a hold of his family. I didn't I didn't have their phone number, I didn't know anything. So
0: it's, and so when you you do you remember slipping? Like what's yes. the last thing you remember? Slipping. Slipping. Yeah, that's the last thing you remember, and then you yeah. woke up and some or someone was tugging yeah. on you.
1: Yeah. So I, um, to get into this, some like more crazy detail, but um, so they originally they sent the the sh- sheriff's department out to come get me in a helicopter. Yep. At this point, it was you know four hours of me being on this mountain. And so that's
0: important. We're in nighttime now. Nighttime. Like 9, 9 p.m., mm-hmm. 10 p.m.
1: Yes. Dark. Dark. Right. So apparently they took a lap around the mountain on this helicopter. And again, I don't know any of this. I'm learning this after the fact because not only did the search and rescue team reach out to me after the fact, but Bobby, my fucking savior, the man who was the pilot of the Nighthawk helicopter, that actually is the one that ended up saving me, He reached out to me after the fall as well to find out how I was doing to check in on me. And so it was with those guys that I asked them what had happened because I didn't remember much, right? So this is all, honestly, he, he said, she said, he said of what had gone on. But what had happened was they sent the sheriff's helicopter out. They couldn't find me. It was dark. They did a lap, couldn't find me. They landed. So then at that point, they had to call the Army National Guard because that was the only helicopter, the Nighthawk helicopter is the only helicopter that has night vision. That helicopter was not even supposed to be out in Shasta, but the only reason why it was that morning it had landed in Shasta is because, remember at the time when all those fires were happening? There were fires happening 10 Mm. miles away from the Shasta mountain. So that Nighthawk helicopter, like I said, being told now, was called in that morning to go out and support the fires. So that Nighthawk helicopter would have taken them an additional five and a half hours to get the Nighthawk helicopter to come so they could use that night vision to come find me. It just happened to be grounded in Shasta that morning. So it was the Nighthawk helicopter that was the one that ended up coming around, doing a lap with the Nighthawk, with with the night vision, and actually couldn't find me after the first lap. Again, hearing this from Bobby, it wasn't until the second lap He did another, well, he was running out of fuel. Sorry, let me back up. Was running out of fuel because at that point, the elevation, right? Yeah. They had to ground the helicopter, shut down the freeway in Shasta, ground the helicopter to refuel the helicopter to be able to go up and do another lap. He did another lap and he said, I could show you a picture said from the corner of his eye they were doing another lap and all of a sudden he could see a small light on the mountain
0: not on the night vision but his actual no
1: in the in the night, vision the night vision, camera. Okay. it's like it was like yeah. he sent me the picture of this sh- shot of this circled camera this night vision he saw this small light on this mountain and it was with that that the, he spotted me and he said there she is the reason why they couldn't find me is because where they pinged my phone originally mm-hmm. was not where I was. Right. Because they didn't know I tried to go down to Jeff. Ah. Uh, so I had fallen. Got it. Right. So they were doing laps and they were trying to do they all these things. They were thinking things, you were still up in the top of the Thinking I was there, and they didn't know I had fallen. So they were in the wrong areas, and then all of a sudden he sees this light on his second lap. So with that, they said, "All right." He originally, Bobby said originally, they weren't even going to take this mission because it was too dangerous. And he, I mean, he would be one would be really interesting to interview. Actually, the news end, ended ended up interviewing after the fact. Um, he's been combat, right? Like this yeah. man. I mean, he has been to. Afghanistan, for crying out loud. He said this mission was the hardest mission he has ever done in his life. He said he's never reached out to anybody that he's ever rescued, but he said there was something about my mission that he had to reach out to me afterwards. Well, he originally reached out to my mom on Facebook and she connected us. And he... So this helicopter, the Nighthawk helicopter, it's technically only allowed to go up to 10,000 feet. There's only so much... Elevation it could handle, right? Yeah, right? Because it was Shasta, because it's a glacier, the wind and the elevation and getting up to where it needed to be, where I was, was damn near impossible. So they weren't even going to do it. And he said, all the guys looked at themselves in the helicopter and said, We just have to try. We just have to try. So, and this is him telling the story. He said, He got up to about 10,000 feet and they had power. And he said, "Okay, let's keep going." They got up to 105. He goes, "We have power." He got up to 11. He goes, "We have power." 115. They had power. They had to get higher than me because they had to drop, right? So we got up to 115 and they dropped my um John who again, I still know he's the one that actually came down and got me. He's the one that I felt. And they dropped him originally and he couldn't get me because the wind was so bad. They were so scared that the propellers of the helicopter, it was talk it was, it was moving the helicopter into this mountain, right? Like they were so scared that he was gonna clip the mountain. So he was trying to get close enough to be able to drop the rescue crew, but couldn't get I mean, it was swaying him. So he managed to get close enough, and they dropped me, and they dropped him. They so got me the second attempt, and that's when he pulled me up. That's why I said, the pull. That was them pulling me up, life fly, flying fly, fly me away. They took me over to the Shasta Hospital, which was the nearest hospital, and took me in. I was too <laughs> trauma at that point, and I didn't know, apparently, reading back now over, like, all the medical notes, Apparently, I was communicating with them. I told them I wasn't even hurt. I told them that I had a little bit of an ankle pain and my back hurt a little bit. But like I was chatting. They asked me if I was allergic to any medication and like, you know, whatever, like they yeah. normally ask you. And I, I apparently, I was chatting it up with them. I had no idea. So they took me into Shasta. And then by the time they went in and did like the whole MRI and like did the workup on me, they're like, I was too trauma for them. So they took me by ambulance, an ambulance. Again, I don't even remember bringing in An ambulance. Took me to Mercy Reading is where they ended up admitting me. After they dropped me off, that's when they went back to go get Jeff. And that's when they were able to find him. But at that point.
0: So he wasn't near you.
1: So they found him. My helmet apparently fell off and was lying about 100 feet past where he was lying. So I was. I guess near him. I don't know. I don't I don't know the final answers to all that, but um, he had fallen into a crevasse, so it was they couldn't get him from helicopter. They had to then land and go by foot to go rescue him and his body. But at that point, it was too late. Um, but when I had fallen, um, he said that because I asked him, I was like, "Where was I? What was I doing? Like I was just like curled up in a ball. Like what was going on?" The other thing about the light. So normally, so we wear headlamps, right? Normally you put your headlamp over your helmet. You like strap it around your helmet. I still don't know to this day. I have my headlamp. So my headlamp is obviously what he ended up seeing, right? Somehow my helmet had fallen off my head because they said they found my helmet on the mountain. But I still had the headlamp on my head. And that is the light that they saw to find me. That headlamp is at home in my closet. That's unreal. And uh, so I said, well, what was I doing? I was th- was I just lying there? Like, where was I? And they said what had happened was, I guess, as I was going down and my hands, my nails, my hands, my fingers were just bruised, yeah. broken and bruised. So I guess I was clawing at some point, somehow stopping me from falling, right? I don't remember. But they said when they got me, I was like in this little divot in the mountain, which essentially is like this little curvature that like got me to stop from sliding more. And I was able to just, I was just sitting there when they got me. So the path, like where I fell, this little divot in this mountain somehow just stopped me from falling more. The light, the headlamp on my helmet is how they saw me that helicopter, not even supposed to be even going over 10,000 feet, managed to get up to over 11.
0: Yeah, 11, 11 five. That
1: helicopter wasn't even supposed to be there. The fires just happened to make it be there. I, I mean, if that helicopter would have taken an additional five and a half hours, like I, I mean, I had hypothermia as it is, and a concussion as it is.
0: This is like miracle after miracle after miracle
1: yeah oh my god unbelievable so i uh was in the hospital for a week my parents um my mom drove me home uh i was in a wheelchair for five weeks and i started walking after five weeks i went through extensive physical therapy for about six weeks on my leg once i started walking I ended up having four surgeries. I had two on my shoulder from my clavicle was dislocated. Again, you'll see those pictures on my Instagram. Um, I, you know, screws and hooks and everything in my shoulder. Um, Never had to get spinal surgery. Ended up healing on its own. But the spinal surgery, or I'm sorry, the spinal fracture that I had was literally the spinal fractures that I was going and fixing for a living. I had a vertebral compression fracture. No way. That is what I did for a living. Never ended up having to get surgery. Healed on its own. I went and got an MRI after by one of my spine surgeons. And he looked at my mom and I and he held my hand after looking at the MRI. And he said, Chelsea, he said, you fractured every single spot of your spine. But the part that would have left you with paralysis. And he's wow. holding my hand. And he goes, I have no idea how you fell or how you landed or how you twerked your body to have ended up walking. He goes, I can't even explain to you how you have this fracture and no other injuries.
0: Like the only area of the spine that yeah. wasn't fractured.
1: Yeah. Um, so I went in. To go, see my, uh, to go see my orthopedic surgeon, I had to change all, sur- all doctors, right? Surgeons, doctors, everybody once I moved back home. Um, luckily at that point I worked in medical devices so I had a lot of connections with doctors so I'd go yeah. see all the best doctors, whatnot, not surgeons and, and everything. So I went and saw my orthopedic doctor here in San Diego, it was not the surgeon, but anyways, met and met with them. And uh, after five months, so I went through six weeks of you know extensive physical therapy on my leg. And after five months I went in and saw her and she said, I love you, but I'm done seeing you. She goes, you are an absolute miracle the way you have healed. She said, I want you to come speak to my OR patients about your recovery. I fractured, I did my fib, essentially what Tiger Woods, you know, yep, like yep. broke my tib-fib. Yep. Shattered like just in half. And she said, the way you recovered from your surgery, the way you are walking now, the way you got through physical therapy, she goes, you are a walking miracle the way you have recovered. So I had two two surgeries on my shoulder. I was released from all medical supervision. Never had to have physical therapy on my shoulder. I have full mobility, full rotation, lift weights. I was released from all medical supervision seven months to the day of my accident. I have not seen a doctor since seven months of the accident. I'm back to running 10 or so miles a week I take yoga twice a week. I lift weights three days a week. I have no medical restriction. I have no nothing. And this um, isn't that long ago. No, this was not even two years ago.
0: Like a year and a half, mm-hmm. roughly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what? How, so, what do you attribute all this to? Like, what? What? How, how do you explain this?
1: Oh, it's God. God. Oh, no doubt. Oh, this is where it's going to get real emotional. I was saved that day. I mean, people, right? I mean, I could sit here and talk about Bobby. I could talk about the pilots. I could talk about the rescue crew. I could talk about my mom. I could talk about my family. I mean, I could. I was saved. I should not be here. I should not be here. I mean, everything that was told to me after the accident, It is a damn miracle.
0: There's more than one miracle in there. There's like 10. Yeah. Like 10.
1: To the to the point where I still have them every day. That everything I do in life is a miracle because I went back to work after five months. Stryker was amazing. They put me on disability. They were just heavenly towards the, toward, through the entire thing. I went back to work after five months. I was still getting surgeries up until two weeks of me going back to work. And I just remember one day standing at the operating table, getting ready to wheel a patient. They were getting ready to wheel a patient in. And again, I'm dealing with vertebral compression fractures, what I personally had. And this patient gets wheeled in and I'm standing at the operating table. And I'm just thinking, what the hell am I doing with my life? This is, this is not my calling. Remember what I was telling you, yeah. like it just didn't feel like I was going in and changing lives, but I didn't have that feeling, that right. connection, right? Yeah. Like yeah, I exactly. wasn't making that impact. And I just remember sitting there going, this is not it. I was not saved to do this, to feel this way, to walk this life, to walk on this earth, to recover the way I did, is not my calling i have been given a second chance at life and i've got to go make the most of it so with that i changed careers uh just happens to be that my oldest sister who i told you is my absolute role model works for a company (laughs) still in the medical world, but she has worked for this company for about 10 years. And it's funny, come full circle, cause I had a goal of wanting to work for the company, mm-hmm. even when I was working for ADP, it's Align, Invisalign. And she works, she's in Sacramento anyways, and she works for, and I've always wanted to work for Align technology, Invisalign, uh, but there was no open roles in San Diego after all this time. And so Sarissa reached out to me and she just happened to say, again, this is like right after I got back to work after five months and she, and I was already feeling a certain way, right? But I'm not a quitter I'm not going to give up I'm working for Striker Like this is the world This is the dream job And she said Hey Charles." She goes Do you happen to know Anybody in San Diego That might be interested In working for Align Because her teammate Who is now my manager uh, There was going to be an opening But it hadn't happened yet They were just like Proactively trying to like Build the bench right And I go uh, Hello Me She's like really You would leave Striker And I'm like oh my god at that point you know I look up and I'm like yeah (laughs) yes years ago yeah so with that I got in touch with my now manager and interviewed and went through the process and within two weeks was hired uh left striker on great terms because like I said they took such great care of me I loved my boss I loved they were just so amazing they reached out like they were there by my side but it was that conversation of you know what like they just um, they understood right. Like I went through obviously a life changing traumatic incidents where I, I had to go. I, I just had to go make moves, and so I've been with Invisalign Align Technology since the last year and a half. Um, and again, like I said, I just, I just wake up every morning. I just. I've got to find this purpose, right? Yeah, like, tell, tell me I about about this, yeah, yeah,
0: tell me about this. Like, how how has this just gotten yeah. into like?
1: Um, well, I we talk about the cliche, right? Um, he was young. He was the healthiest man I've ever met in my life. So active, so in shape. I mean, this guy was like everything, and never i mean it was during covid we were both at that we were the typical like covid like we were scared crapless right like anybody in the beginning where we're like wiping down our amazon boxes the only thing he and i both ever felt comfortable doing at that point was hiking and going outside Mm. and like being out close to god in the wilderness and never once ever ever did i ever think twice or anything would ever happen to us as we're hiking right we've never had fear never never And lo and behold, the one thing that he felt safe doing, at least in that moment, right, of COVID and this whole entire situation that we were in, was hiking. And the one thing that he felt safe and comfortable doing is what ended up taking his life. So lesson one from that, let go, let God.
0: Let go, let God.
1: We only have so much control, right? Was back to that control theme and all that, it's like at this point, at this point, like we could wipe down Amazon boxes, we could do whatever we can to control, we could wear our seatbelts every day, we could do whatever we have to make the right decisions and the right choices. But like call God. So that's the first thing that I've quickly had to realize there's only so much in my control. Um. The second thing, cliche, but life is short. Yep. And we all say it. We do. Right? Yep. We all say it. But at the end of the day too, it's like, unfortunately, until something happens to us, do we really know that? And if we could all just take a minute, even if nothing has happened to you, life is short. Hug your people. Love your people. Um, Just make the most out of it. Damn.
0: Yep, so many people are just stressed out about nothing.
1: And it's kind of funny because I have a therapist and I tell her all the day, every day I say, I feel like, kind of gave me my bitch back. Because I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to wake up every day and feel uncomfortable emotionally, physically. I quit my job. I was not comfortable. I was not happy. What used to drive me and give me fire and adrenaline, right? Of the sills and this rat race. Like I woke up and I thought, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's not. And I got my bitch back. I said, screw it. I'm done. There's a difference between giving up and surrendering. Mm. The other lesson I learned. From sitting on the top of that mountain and looking down and thinking, before we'd even gone down, right, as he's putting those crampons on my feet, I thought, I just wanted to tell him I don't want to do this. I want to call for help. But I knew the only way to do that was if a helicopter came out here and we would have to give up, and what are we gonna say? And with that, mm. we, we failed. And he would look at me going, you're stronger than that, or blah, 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 we could do, you know, it, like all the, the mental blocks, right? The ego. The ego. The ego
0: the that ego. I've had,
1: unfortunately, my entire life. Again, I love sports, but it, it gives you an ego to an extent. More, 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 more. going to think? What are people going th- uh, nah. to think? What are going? Exactly. And
0: what is everybody? The number one thing is what are people going to think when yep. they hear we had to call a helicopter? We had
1: to give up. We had to ask for help. But no. What I would have done is I would have surrendered. You surrender that control. You surrender to God. I will never look back and think what if? I will never, ever, 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 ever look back and think, what if I would have said something? I do, but i got to learn from it. So what do I do now? I say no. I say no. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. You surrender. I surrender. So I got my bitch back, right? I got <laughs> yeah. my balls and my bitch back. Because if I don't want to do it and I don't like it and I'm not comfortable, I'm not going to do it.
0: You're not going to care what anybody thinks about no. it. No.
1: And let me tell you, do I still struggle with that every day? I'm 34-year-old female living in San Diego. And do I have social media that I'm looking at every day? And do I have my body that I'm looking at every day? And do I have comparing? And I still have, I'm still in a sales job. I still have a number I'm looking at every day. <sighs> Right, I still have a quota. Oh, let me tell you, I still struggle with that every day.
0: Which, which most people do. Yeah. So, sum it up for the watchers and listeners here, because yeah. you have you've already summed it up. But hit just, just drive this thing home because this is such a. I'm like sweating here.
1: <laughs> and I just thought you just hold tissue box. I yeah, apologize to I'm all the sweating. listeners that are watching I'm this. I'm sweating about out of my, my eyes. Tears. My
0: my forearms are sweating yeah so just because this right there you 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 laid it out and ladies and gentlemen listen to this because you you just we're all in this race you just said it, the rat yeah. race go 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 i gotta go here i gotta go there i gotta 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 no one's actually enjoying the moment
1: yeah myself included i'll take yes I still, me too. to this day i struggle with it still even though i sit here and preach this all day i still struggle with it
0: so give me, give me what you're feeling here on your next calling here of sharing, because this is the yeah. first time you've ever shared this yeah. really in detail and in, in, at length, like the entire your of everything, right? So this, yeah. this is, I'm assuming it's going to be therapeutic for you as well. And that's what it's all about is oh, yeah. you, you can't fully heal until you can talk about it. And then this lesson for people is life is short. Sum that up for me again. Just tell everybody right I now. I just think gonna,
1: it, you know, yeah. Cliche, right? It's easy to say, life is short. I think more more importantly, there's a difference between giving up and surrendering. Right? Trusting, let go, let God. I mean, I owe my faith to my survival. I am here for this reason. And again, I'm still trying to figure out what my purpose is. I'm I I would love love in a perfect world. I would love for this purpose to be for me to go be a motivational speaker, for me to go talk about this. Yeah. For a little while, right after my accident, I did reach out to some news and and, and try to get the story out there because that is what I felt like maybe that is why I did survive, to tell the story. I am the highest rescue ever on Mount Shasta and this, that, and the other, right? Maybe it's to bring people, what is our calling as Christian? Yeah. To bring more people into our calling. Yeah, serve God's children. Right. And to get others, to reach to others, to bring them in. Yep. Maybe it's to help those that don't have faith yet. Correct, to teach them that I didn't just stop sliding because my nails were able to grab a hold of the ice or because I had a divot in the mountain. No, there was a divot in the mountain because God had me fall in a certain area of the mountain to hit that divot, right? Like there is a bigger power. There is a bigger person than us. goes back to being an athlete. It's not about us, right? Yep, Yep. So... Um, the last thing I always type say too is, um, my word for all this. And I actually ended up getting a tattoo and I told myself i would never get a tattoo. My dad would have killed me when, if this happened when I was younger, but I got a tattoo with a cross and it says grace. I have quickly had to teach myself to have grace. First, I'm going to say on myself, because I am, and I've known this my entire life. I am a perfectionist. I am my hardest critic. Whether it was it's performance-based, whether it's the way I look, whether it's the way I walk, talk, make whatever it is, surface or internally, I am my hardest critic. One of the things I will say is I am not physically in the shape that I was in pre-fall. I'm doing the best that I can. I will never be where I was. But damn, do I have grace on myself and I'm proud of myself for just doing it for just moving, for just trying, I give myself grace. If I have a bad day, I give myself grace. But secondly, I, I have taught myself to give more grace to others. And as cliche mm. as that sounds as well, as yes. we all sit here and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. Or when we see somebody driving by and they flick you off, it's like, okay, clearly that's your own issue, right? I'm gonna pray for you. But no, it's more in the sense that we all have a story. And the reason why I say this also is because I went through six surgeries and blah, blah, blah. And I was this and I was that. And I'm, people tell me, right, looking at me, I never would have known. I never, this was a year and a half ago. I never physically, because we all look physically, right? Exactly. Everybody walking this earth has a story. Do they have a story of losing their boyfriend and falling down Mount Shasta? No but do they have a story in one way or another that has shaped them and formed them and that has been a challenge for them in their life? Uh, Pretty sure, yes. Yeah. So with that being said, it's have grace on others, but at the same time too, like don't let that define you, right? Like this is my story and I wanna share it and I share it not to have pity. That is my number one thing when people ask me how are you doing and I for one minute might complain or vent. But my, always, 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 my answer afterwards is, but I can't complain. Yep. Because I am so blessed and lucky to be here. We all are. We all are.
0: We are so blessed.
1: So give grace to yourself, give grace to others. We all have a story. So that moment you want to get frustrated or judge or we all have something, right?
0: There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We all have something. Give grace, give yourself grace, let go, and let God. Real deal talk. I just got goosebumps.
1: Have a nice day. Love you, (laughs) thanks job. Love you.